but first I have some words of encouragement from the Word of God in Ephesians 4, the, the first verse and the last verse of that chapter. <clears throat> I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you all to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. Let's pray once more. Our God and our Father, we just sang that we believe in the church, and we need to sing that, and our, our brothers and sisters long in the past used to affirm that as part of their uh, being brought into the church. We, we say that because uh, we need faith to see the church as you see it, as you explain it here in your word. We need faith. We need faith in the day of small beginnings to see what you are building. We need faith to engage in that great work of building with hope, hope of that vision of the future you are building us into. So I pray today, will you grant us this faith? Will you please make your word clear today? Will you make its riches available to us that we may eat of them and eat of rich foods here today and be nourished deeply in our souls that we may grow, become new, that we may mature into your image, Lord Jesus. Please give us a vision of what you are doing. Please give us wisdom for, for on the ground, how in the day-to-day, -day, how to engage in what you are doing here. So, all of this to say, please, Holy Spirit, come. Please work in us now. Do a work in us which only you can do, I ask. In Jesus' name, amen. In the early 1960s, New College at Oxford University, it's, it's called New College. It was built in like 1,000 or 1,200 A.D. It's New College because there was one before it. Um, uh, they realized that the great wooden beams of their great hall had to be replaced. If you've ever watched a Harry Potter movie, that great hall is the great hall at New College um, at Oxford. The New College deans searched all over the world, but they could find literally no one who could do it, who had the trees big enough and who could cut them in just the right way and just the right trees. So they were even, these, these Brit, Brits were thinking even about doing laminate beams, you know, Anathema. There's <laughs> just no way. Fake wood, you know. Um, until a janitor found in the basement a leather pouch filled with ancient parchments. These parchments were actually the master plan for the entire college. And on these parchments, there, there were even plans for everything that was to be planted on the grounds. Very meticulous, very specific, very specific. And down at the bottom, there's a little note that said those beams in the Great Hall, 
those beams will probably last about 500 years. And so, for that eventuality, the builders of the college called in the master plan for, great, for trees to be planted in a certain place so that at the proper time they could be harvested to replace the beams in the great hall. <laughs> so the janitor places this in front of the dean's desk and he reads this and looks out the window and there is a perfect row of great oaks right where the plan specified for them to be. The builders, the builders provided, provided for the work to continue long into the future, and they provided for that the future would need by faith, by faith, providing for a future that they could not see. Well, today we consider our, continue considering our 10 moves for the future. We started with ourselves, and then we talked about households, last week child rearing, and now we consider us as a church. And today we face many obstacles. We as a church, the, the larger modern church, and like many churches, we, us, and, and the larger church, we're, we're prone to look far and wide for solutions, but so often those turn out to be not authentic. They turn out to be just, you know, laminate veneers. They don't hold the weight that we need them to hold. They're not authentic. And all the while, right outside our metaphorical window, we've already been given the solution by our Father, the Father of this great building project called the church. And it's right here in this ancient parchment, in these ancient texts, in Ephesians 4. So today, I want to walk through the text, give it its, its uh, sense, and then I want to drill down on one very simple but I think profound theological point, and then make some, some practical observations. I trust, though, that these practical observations will yield, for every person here, another 10 practical observations. That's, that's, that's why I pray the way I pray, that the Spirit would work here in that way. So first, the text. Here in Ephesians 4, uh, Paul tells us that to be in the church means to be in a building project. To be a Christian means to be in a building project. Verse 12, the work of ministry is, quote, the building up of the body of Christ. So then Paul expands on this in four ways. He tells us who builds, he tells us when we are to build, then he tells us what we are building, and then lastly, he tells us how we are to build. Who, when, what, and how. Who, when, what, and how. So first, the who. The chief builder is God, who has given us Christ. Verse 8, uh, which, which was before the passage Michelle mentioned, but Jesus was crucified and risen, and then he ascended on high. And when it's when he ascended on high, um, he gave gifts to men, Paul says. Well, what are those gifts? They are people, actually. <laughs> people redeemed by his grace and filled with his spirit. They are, beginning in verse 11, the apostles. The apostles, the apostles they are the, their writings are the foundation of this entire building project. Either we build on their gospel, or we are like a builder who like starts with the couch cushions and says, I'm going to start with that and build everything on that. You know, those are the only two choices. Then God gives prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. We can discuss the continuation of prophecy another day. We don't have time for that now, but the last three evangelists, those gifted with that special ability to say to someone, you need to be saved. And the other person goes, okay, <laughs> you know, you know those people evangelists. 
um, shepherds, elders, and paid elders like me, whom, whom we call pastors, but it's all shepherds who are gifted with applying the word and, and guiding God's people to, and, and to land the plane of the word on, on, on soil, on real life, and teachers who, who make the word clear, but who make the word clear so that all of God's people can unite around the truth. These are, these are literally God's gift to men. <laughs> uh, now, we might think that that's the work of ministry. That's, that's how we often think about this. And in fact, um, you know, Michelle did a great job reading, but she added a word as she was reading this. And, and this is like, I, I would say as a Christian, this is maybe like the fourth time I've heard this passage read in public where someone did the exact same thing. She's not the first one. She said, she, she read verse 12 as the work of the ministry. But that's not what this says here. Um, look closely at verse 12. Who, who does the work of ministry? It's, it's not the ministry, it's, it's ministry. And those people who are gifted by God, who are God's gifts to the world, their job is to equip the saints, all other Christians, for the work of ministry. All other saints. It's, it's unfortunate that we would say something like, Jed left banking and entered the ministry. Because I was already in God's ministry as a banker. When I was setting up chairs in Sunday school, or when I went out with a buddy for a beer and he was confessing his sins to me and I, I, I gave him some word from, from the Bible to encourage him. I was already in the ministry when I was there with that widow in, a, in the ER and her son was hooked on drugs and I was just there with her. No one was paying me to do it. I wasn't a pastor. I was just Jed. That, according to Ephesians 4.12, is the work of ministry. In fact, thinking about this, thinking about Ephesians 4.12, what I'm doing right now is, is in some sense less of the work of ministry than what those folks did yesterday on Saturday morning here in this building, cleaning the toilets. <laughs> they are the ones who are in ministry. I am a person who equips them for the work of ministry. Isn't that, isn't that something? <laughs> That's what the text says. That's what the Bible says. So, Please, please don't skip past this too quickly. How, how can this be? How can this be? Because we're in the body of Christ. We're in the body of one who inverted all of our categories, who was God, the second member of the Trinity, the Son of God, and who came to earth and became a slave to all, humbling himself to the point of death, even the death on a cross for us. That's why it's Pastors and elders, we're, we're not the, picture this like, like a cathedral, like an ancient cathedral. We're, we're not the gargoyles on the top looking down at everyone. <laughs> we're the stones underneath that you can't even see. Serving the rest, equipping the rest. We're the gardeners, we're the bellboys, we're, we're the slaves of all. So, this is, this is the church. This is the church. Okay, so that's, that's who. Who does the work of ministry? You do. <laughs> um, that's, that's what the Bible says. So, so what? What is this building project? What is the work? It is, verse 12, building up the body of Christ. 
the body, which is a metaphor for the church, manifested in local, the local church. So in a very real sense, we're, we're not changing the subject from last week. Last week we talked about child rearing. The principles are the same. Child rearing is a parable of what we are all to be doing in the church, raising up this body to, verse 13, mature manhood. Mature manhood. But not just any mature manhood. We've all known adults who, though they are adults, well into adulthood, verse 14, they are still tossed to and fro by every new doctrine that comes along and who are easily deceived and who deceive themselves all day long. So it's not just any maturity. It is, it is maturity that looks like Christ himself. Verse 13, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Say it this way. The only true, the only authentic maturity there is in the universe is to be like Christ. And there is no other such thing as maturity. There is no other such thing as authenticity except in Christ, except to look like Christ. Everything else is just overgrown childhood. That's what God's building project is, to build up this body, to mature it. Not, not you, not, not mature you, but you're us, us as a body. The pronoun of this entire passage is not you, it is us or y'all. We're not in Texas, but y'all. Um, it, is, it, is, it is us, part by part, but, but as a body, so that this body would mature into the fullness of Christ of Christ. The maturity, the stability, the life, the beauties of Christ, all that he is. That's life. That's authenticity. We, our, our generation desperately, desperately wants authenticity. That's, that's, that's all we want. That's what we want most of all. And our trouble is that we look, we look down for it. We look side to side for it. We look within for it when all the while it's right outside the window in Christ. The authenticity, that search for authenticity is not wrong. It's just misguided. If we look for it within ourselves, it is found in Him. In Him. So, and we are to do this. We are to build up this authenticity, this maturity in each other. In each other. This is an us which is very hard for us, us Americans, to think about. Because I'm, I'm a self-sufficient, good American, doggone it, right? I mean, we, we pride ourselves on, on being self-sufficient, about being me. And there's a lot of good to that, don't get me wrong. A lot of good to that. A lot of good to self-sufficiency. The Bible talks about that. But, but the church is an us. This is why Paul describes this maturity as unity in verse 13, Unity in and around Christ and who he is, the, the truth about him. Okay, that's, that's the what. There's, there's lots of practicalities that we need to grow out of that, but we need to understand this first. Okay, when? When, when do we build? Then Paul tells us when we are to build, we are to build now, verse 12, and keep building, verse 13, until we attain to this unity, this maturity. When will that be? When Christ returns. When Christ returns. Okay, but here's, here's what we need to see here is that th this, this was also true for Christians 
500 years ago who are now asleep. They also had this charge upon them that they had to learn, to, to use the metaphor again of a cathedral, that they had to learn masonry and they were called to build and lay, and lay stones, cut stones and lay stones and build a cathedral that would never be finished in their lifetimes. So we, we are on a building project for which we most likely, should the Lord not return, most likely you and I will not see the end of it. They, in some sense, were building for us. We stand on their shoulders and we are building for a future that we also cannot see, that we can only grasp by faith, by faith. This whole thing is faith. This whole thing is faith. This whole thing, as we will see, is faith, hope, and love. Building in faith in, in, with a hope, with a vision of this future that I cannot see, but I know it's there. And I know it's coming. So we, we're building and we're called to plan and, and labor so that future generations have oaks to build with. We're, we're called to build with, with the whole timeline in view. The scriptures simply do not allow us to say, to, you know, read the news, read the headlines, and say, uh, oh man, going to hell in a handbasket. Uh, Lord's, he's, he's coming back in like 20 days, you know. So I'm, I'm just going to check out. No, no. I've often told the story about the, the people that lived during the great mortality, uh, the, the Black Plague, when, which was like, oh, I'm, the, the time is escaping me, like the 1300s? Okay, thank you. I got a nod there. Like the 1300s. It, it would have been very uh, reasonable, if we could go back in time and interview someone and say, do, do you think this is the end of days? And the person would say, well, yeah, 60 to 80% of every village, everyone is dying. Of course it is. Do you think the Lord is returning soon? Yeah, like tomorrow. Of course this is the end of days. That would have been very understandable to conclude. And yet, I must ask you to consider how, how much has happened in Christianity since then? How much building has God done since then? Including you. You're saved. You've come and, and heard about Christ. There... We have no idea, idea, idea the magnitude of what God is doing in history. It must be apprehended by faith and hope. It can only be seen by faith. Okay, so how then? That, that's when. We, we need to build now, but with the whole timeline in view. We're not building for ourselves. We're not building for the next generation. We're building for our grandkids, grandkids, grandkids. So how? How do we do that? Well, once again, we've seen this often with Paul in verse 15. We see Paul's way of telling us how to do a command by using an ing statement, an ing word. If you look for this in Paul, you'll see it all over the place. How do we grow up in every way like oaks into him who is the head, Christ? We do it, verse 15, by speaking the truth one to another in love by speaking the truth one to another in love. And you're like, 
doggone it, Jed, you, you're supposed to give us some slam-bam new tactic, you know, that the, that the megachurch down the street is, is doing, that, you know. And Paul's like, no. No, I want to give you something better than that. I want to give you something more powerful than that. I'm going to give you the thing that actually created all things. <laughs> Not just the power to attract a crowd, but the power to create new worlds, new generations, new history, new life. That is the words of God, the truth. What, what we're to do in this building project is to do nothing less than what our Father did. We're, we're simply to imitate Him. Simply to imitate him, God spoke all things to, into existence by simply speaking his own words. And so we speak his truth one to another. And that has the power to create uh, new worlds, new generations. That has the power to build this body into a body that lasts forever. Constantly, this is a constant chatter here in, in webs of relationships, webs of speaking the truth one to another. You have a particular perspective from, from your place in life that I need, and I have a particular perspective grounded in the truth that, that you need, and we speak that one to another, and by this we are built up. The history books of heaven will look nothing, nothing like ours. History books of heaven, it, it won't say, you know, at the top, Charles Spurgeon, you know, the history books of heaven will say, uh, so there was this coal miner one day who had, to sub, who had to substitute preach because the preacher didn't bother coming out for the, through the snow to preach this day. And he was a terrible preacher by the man's standards. And yet he spoke God's word, and there was a young Charles Spurgeon in the audience who got diverted by the snow into this church on that day. And the man, terrible preacher, literally in the middle of the service, looked at Spurgeon and said, boy, you don't look good. <laughs> like, who does that? <laughs> but Spurgeon was cut to the quick. The spirit pricked him, and he knew, I don't look good because I ain't good. My, my soul is wrong, and he became converted, and he became a Christian. Who is more important? Who will be in history's hev uh, heaven's history books? I think that coal miner substitute preacher will be above Spurgeon's name. We need each other. All, all, all of human history was changed through Spurgeon's preaching, changed through that substitute coal miner who made it through the snow that day. So, who does this? Who does this speaking? Verse 16, everybody. Every part of the body joined and held together by every joint, which by joints, I think Paul means here, the gifted people above, as every joint equips all the parts and all the parts speak the truth and love one to another in faith. Let me, let me just say again what I said last week. What, what does faith mean? Faith means I, I speak the truth to you, and as I speak, I have a vision in my mind of, of the, new, the new you that this truth has the power to create. I, I look to you, and I see generations beyond you that the Word has the power to create. That's what, this look, that's what faith looks like in the moment. And so I speak it. I speak it. Not, not taking your face at face value. Not looking at your face. at looking to the face of God, the creator, who's still creating. Um, so every joint is speaking the truth. How? 
shrilly, slapdashedly, angrily, no, in love. Speak the truth in love to one another in faith. And then the whole, pot, whole body is then, only then, working properly. Working properly. So we, we all do the work of ministry equipped in our gifts by people gifted in a certain way, but they're not above everybody. They're actually alongside and, and serving one another just as Christ served us. And, and that work, that work then, as we are all speaking the truth and love to one another, the word of God continues to create and the, the body of Christ is built up into a unity that resembles Christ himself. And this project will continue until Christ returns. Okay, so, so that's the passage. The, the theological principle here that we need to drill down into is this. It ain't about us. That's the theological principle. It ain't about us. It ain't about us, which is as simple as, as, as it is um, easy to forget, easy to miss. The church is the body of Christ, of Christ, which, which really means two things at the same time. The church belongs to Christ, which it's possessive, but it, that word of there can also mean um, that is. The church, that, that is Christ, that is Christ. You could say the same thing here in Romans 1.1 when Paul says that he was all about the gospel of God. In that sense, it, it is the gospel that belongs to God. It's the gospel that is about God, but in a very full and real sense, what, the, what that means is it is the gospel that is God, but by the gospel, we get God. We get God. God is the gospel. God is the end of the gospel to get him and to enjoy his life within himself. So um, to put this very simply, that this is the body of Christ, so it is decidedly not about us. Not about us. And that is good news, as I trust you'll see. Um, as, as Paul writes at the end of Romans 11, all things are from him and through him and for him. Thus Paul says, back in Ephesians 4.15, that... Ephesians 4.15, we grow into Christ. We grow into Christ. to kind of visualize this. And at the same time, it's from him, verse 16. Verse 16, it's from him, from whom the whole body, skip down, makes the body grow. <laughs> so track this. So let me put it this way. The, the body, all of us, make the body grow by getting everything we need for that growth from Christ. So who does the growth? Is it you or is it Christ? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Um, you do the work of ministry, and all the nourishing power, all the wisdom, all the mercy, all the grace for it, it all comes from our head, Christ, from whom we are all nourished. So we, we all connect with him. We all connect with him through faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love. Faith. So this is, again, not just a, the ambiguous concept of faith, but faith in Christ crucified and resurrected the Son of God through whom all things were created, for whom all things exist, by whom all things hold together. Only He has the power to build up this body. Only He has it. And then hope. Hope sees 
beyond what we can see with our eyes to an unseen future, to generations not yet born, but who will need oak trees to continue the building project, who will come to know Christ and be united in the faith with other saints. But, and again, in order to have this hope, we must free ourselves from self-regard. We must repent of thinking it's all about me, myself, and I. We must repent of, of living under the tyranny of that unholy trinity. Self-regard is the enemy of hope. Because you don't have it within you. You can't sustain the hope you were made to have. Christ, though, can. But hope, if we have it, breeds love. Love for those that we can see and love for those that we cannot see. Love sees those who live now but who are not yet Christians yet. And love sees unseen generations to come and builds for them. Love sees and, and, and sees with hope and labors for an unseen future that, that, that one day, long after I'm gone, long after I can see it, that there would be something remain, something fruitful, something that others can grab onto and build with after I'm gone. That's what love does. Love plans. Love plans and is filled with a, with a holy ambition, as we'll talk about later. And, and, and it puts that on ambition down on paper, and it plants seeds that are intentional, that will grow up and multiply and provide. It's not about us. It's not about us. But in order for it to not be us, our, the, the heart of a builder must be characterized by faith, hope, and love in Christ. And all of that labors towards a unity, a unity that's united around the truth about Christ. It's all about Him, which is good news for us. Now, I, I want to clarify one thing here that I, I just think is really cool about Christianity, and that's about the word unity, about the word unity. Um, in verse 13, Paul says that we are to labor towards the unity of the faith, unity of the faith. And here, here we are in uh, uh, Black History Month, and we talk a lot about, the world talks a lot about unity, about coming together, about um, healing old divisions and um, honoring the black community, and all of that is good. All of those are good desires, all good. Um, however, there's, there's something that is a, is a problem in humanity that's been going on for a long time, and that is, it, it started way in the past. The ancient Greeks, the ancient Greeks held two opposing schools of thought about unity and about diversity. So, so one school of thought said, um, there is no such thing as diversity. All are one. All are one. There's, unity is, a, is an illusion. It's a mirage. Then there's another school of thought that said, that unity is, is the mirage and that everything is its own thing. That there is no such thing as unity. There is no such thing as a one. It's all, it's all just scattered pieces and that's it. And then comes along the God of the Bible in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then all of a sudden, we discover that, wait a second, it's not either or, it's both. It's both. There is one God, and yet in this God, there are three different pieces, if you will, to this God. There are three different persons, unity and diversity. Only in this God is the puzzle solved, the puzzle that rages to this day of unity. True unity is only found in this 
God, true unity in diversity. In our generation, everyone is looking and striving to be their authentic, unique self, and yet in doing so, we all end up looking the same. We all end up looking the same. In order to be authentic, I'll cover myself with tats just like everyone else, you know. Or when I was a banker, in order to be myself, I'll buy my suit at Land's End just like everyone else, you know. Um, or you can see this in public discourse. Everyone can have their own opinion except those that deviate from the opinion that everybody holds. <laughs> we, we, we drive into one ditch or the other, and humanity's been doing that for thousands of years. The only solution the, the only true unity there is, the only way these two poles are solved and brought together is in Christ through whom we get God, the triune God of the Bible. But to be part of the church is to be part of the, so many solutions that, that the world is looking for. It's a good thing that so many people are looking for authenticity and, and to, to meld these two together, unity and diversity. That's a good thing. It's a good desire, and it's only found in Christ. Um, so only in Christ revealed to us through the ancient writings of the apostles can we be one while at the same time being diverse. Um, so it's not about us. It's not about us, it's about God in Christ, and that's really good news. Because in Him, it's, it's all about Himself, and in Him we find everything we have been looking for everywhere else. Um, okay, so, so that's, the, that's the passage. It's, it is a gloriously good thing that it's not about us. Uh, practicalities, so, so what do we do with this? What do we do with this? First, we are to build with truth in love. We've already seen, build with truth in love. So I, what I want to clarify here is that what Paul is, is saying here is not something that happens on special occasions. Have you ever had this conversation? Okay, now, Fred, uh, I'm going to speak the truth to you, but I'm, I'm going I'm to say this in love, okay? Okay, Fred, I'm going to say this in love. Um, you smell. You know, <laughs> you know it's like, that, that, that's what we think of when we think of speaking the truth in love, you know? That's, that's not what Paul's talking about here. Most of the time, he talk, what he means here is actually saying the good news, not the bad news that you forgot to put on deodorant today, but the good news that Christ died for you, the, the good news that, you know what, Fred, you, you know your sins are forgiven? You know that? Do you, Fred, do, do you know that you're a child of the king? Fred, do you know that you're already seated with Christ in the heavenly places? Do you know that, that if you stand on the blood of Christ, you have the power to overcome every obstacle in your life and to endure to the end? Did you know that? Did you know that you have the spirit within you, that you're united to Christ, that all that is true about him is true about you, Fred? Did you know that, Fred? I love you, Fred. Do you, do you know that my love for you is just a, a dim approximation of all the love that God has lavished upon you and that will never change and never be diminished and will never be broken? The only way it could be broken is if we could put Christ back in the tomb for you, Fred. Did you know that, Fred? That's what it usually looks like. And it's constant all the time speaking the words of God, a new life is created. All the time. All the time. Again, note I said God's words, not what name it and claim it people mean. Not, uh, you know, I'm on my way to Hawaii and I speak into the air and I name and claim, you know, a first-class upgrade, you know. Um, um, I got that from Joel Osteen's book. Um, not that. 
not that. Not speaking the truth in love for yourself. Um, but a constant chatter of God's words already recorded for us in the ancient parchments found in the basement. The words of God. The words of God. By this we imitate God and his creative power and the body grows and matures in Bible studies or over burritos, in a sermon or while cleaning the church on Saturdays, in good times and in hard times, after birth and before death and everywhere in between, speaking, speaking, speaking the truth in love. By this we gain the only unity and diversity that the world can ever truly know. It is, we were talking about this last uh, Friday night, my wife and I, um, that e even, even our Pledge of Allegiance has a heresy in it. Did you know this? <laughs> the, the Pledge of Allegiance asks us to say indivisible, which actually isn't true. Our country is divisible. The only thing that actually isn't divisible in this world is God's people, united in Christ. <laughs> so only in Christ is this indivisibility, this unity and diversity found, this authenticity. And we, we discover, we discover this country that we can only apprehend by faith. We discover it more and more as the church feeds one another the truth about him in love. So that's the first thing. We need to build with truth and love the, the way Paul means it here. Secondly, we need each other. We need each other. You, you have wisdom, as I've said, from your particular vantage point. You know, the, the way you translate the Bible into your own thoughts, your own language. You have wisdom. Every men's breakfast, somebody does this. Every men's breakfast, somebody takes the word and puts it into, you know, plumber language or something. And everyone goes, yes, awesome. And I'm like, why am I even standing up here? <laughs> but that's the way it's supposed to be. That's the way it's supposed to be. It delights me, actually. It's so delightful. Um, we, we need all kinds of people. And, and in a church, for, for instance, we need visionaries and we need managers. You know, if, if you only have one or the other, like if you only have managers, then the church becomes a very stifled, lifeless bureaucracy, you know. But if you only have visionaries, you know, no one eats. Yeah. <laughs> Just ask my wife. Yeah. So um, when she's gone, yeah. So, um, so when Paul speaks in verse 16 of each part working together, he means people appreciating the other and, and appreciating how God has gifted the other in love and, and feeding one another and, and looking for how God has gifted the other and, and appreciating the other, appreciating their gifts and, and learning to live with the quirks of each other's gifts because we all have them. We all have them. And the only way you can do that is with faith and hope and love. Faith to see, you, you know, you're a work in progress. Just, just like every church is a work in progress. You never find the perfect church. In fact, the church became a little less perfect the day I walked in. And you too. <laughs> no offense. Um, you, you never find the perfect church, and you never find the perfect fellow servant. We're a work in progress, have been for 2,000 years. Have been and will be until Christ returns. 
The point is not to find the perfect church. The, the point is to labor and be a builder to ensure the church is growing on the proper trajectory into the likeness of Christ. Not into the likeness of the culture, not into the likeness of, of America, not into the likeness of, you know, what's working great now. Into the likeness of Christ. Only there is the life and the beauty and the strength and the joy and everything else found. Um... So the point is that what God in Christ is growing us into, that's, that's the question. So as with any body, any, any body, we need to do all that we can to prevent what doctors call, uh, I think it would be called transplant organ rejection. Um, that is when someone new comes in with a new way of approaching this or that or speaking about this or that, as long as they're not false to the truth, many local bodies of the church they will reject the new organ anyway, not because it's false to the truth, but because that's just not how we've done it here around here for so long. Well, maybe the way we've done it all along is part of the problem. <laughs> maybe that person coming in is actually God's grace to us. Maybe that person coming in is another gift, a gift of God, just a serious thing to reject a gift of God. Um, so uh, we need each other we need each other and, and some of those folks are not here yet and you especially need the, the people in this church that are the most different from you God gave them to this church in part for you <laughs> for you okay lastly um, we need God if it's all about God then we need God in Christ we need God in Christ so we need prayer. We need prayer. Certainly my prayer life goes up and down. Um, I, this section, I'm as much preaching to myself as I am anyone else here. My prayer life goes up and down. I need prayer. I, I need to repent to a, to a richer prayer life. And I, but, but I also think that's true for us as a church. Um, so expect us to be scheduling a prayer night soon. Please make every effort to come. But, but prayer for what? Prayer for what? Let me, let me offer two suggestions that we need to repent to in terms of our prayer. Number one, to pray according to the Bible. To pray according to what the Bible says is important, which we often find in Paul's prayers. If you want to know how to pray, you read the Lord's Prayer, and then you can move on to Paul's prayers in the New Testament, and then you find, oh boy, these prayers sound a lot different than mine. Uh-huh. Good, good observation. Let that be a correction. Jed, let that be a correction to you in your own praying. Pray according to the Bible. But number two, and this is, this is where it's maybe going to sound a little heretical, but to pray for our ambitions. To pray for our ambitions. The reason why this sounds heretical to some is that some people teach that when you become a Christian, you have to repent of having ambitions. You have to be neutered. You have to be emasculated. Check your man card at the door. And the Bible actually says nothing of the sort. We don't get rid of our ambitions, but just as, just as Christ took captives for himself out of the world, saving people and, and taking them to himself and taking us and ascending us with him and seating us in the heavenly places and then giving us back to the world as his gifts, 
So God does that with our ambitions. We, we take our ambitions and, and we lay them out before him. We, we surrender them to him and we say, Lord, these are yours. Take them, sort them out, please. I, I'm not even sure which ones need to be thrown away, which ones need to be going back in the grave, which ones need to be kind of tweaked, which ones need to be just where, and where I just have zero ambition for what I should. Will you sort this out? And Jesus goes, absolutely. I've been waiting all this time for you to say that. And he takes it and he, and he he sorts through this and he throws some away, especially as our friends speak the truth and love to one another. Then we rub up against one another. We spend time with one another. And pretty soon, new ambitions start to appear within us. Why? Because he gives them back to us. He redeems our ambitions, cleanses them, builds them up, changes them, and then gives us new ambitions. For which, the fulfillment of which we absolutely need him. So Paul writes this in 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 11. He prays that God would not erase every ambition, translated here as resolve, things that occur to you. Why, it'd be great if God did, uh, it'd be great if there was this. Oh God, I would love it if there was this. Listen to those. Don't forget them. Pray about them. Paul prays here that God would fulfill every resolve for every work of faith. The maturing body of Christ is one that is repenting of self-centered ambitions, yes, but is constantly replacing those ambitions with good ambitions for good works, works of faith, works that can only be achieved by God coming down by His Spirit and doing it. And so for every bucket load of ambition, there needs to be a bucket load of prayer. For every new bucket load of ambition that God gives us, there needs to be several bucket loads of prayer. We, we don't pray oftentimes because our ambitions are so small that any old tin pot God could fulfill them. But the answer is not to get rid of ambitions. The answer is to lay them before God and say, God, will you take these? Will you transform them? Will you give me new ambitions? And then when he does, we say, oh God, will you fulfill these? And God will say, yes, yes, yes. Yes, that's why I gave these to you, so that I could fill them for my glory and your good and the world's good. So God says, try me. Try me on this. Go long, get risky, dream big, plan well, and then lay it all down at my feet in childlike prayer and then see what I do to fulfill it. See what I do. All I ask of you to do, dear Christian, is to plant the seed, to plan and plant the seed. I will grow it up such that 700 years from now, someone else comes along and says, oh God, thank you for providing for me. Thank you. So my question, my question to you today, dear Christian, is are you a builder? And are you building according to the way that God prescribes for us to build by speaking the truth in love, by being a chatterer of the truth in love? Is that you? Is that you? May I remind you that the only reason why God commands us to do this is because we are only here because someone spoke the truth in love, because the truth from Christ, from the lips of Christ, came to us from the apostles, through teachers, through preachers, through friends, speaking the truth in love over and over and over, century after century after century, sacrificing, laboring, building. It only came to you because it came through the centuries through God, through ordinary people like you. So God is calling us today. Do you believe me? 
Do, do you believe my word can build? Do you believe my word can raise the dead? Do you believe my word can bring revival? Do you believe my word can build new worlds, can create new life out of nothing? Do you believe that? And if we have only a grain of faith to believe that, God says, oh, good, that's all I needed. Let's go. Let's go. The life you dream of is in him, and the life the world dreams of is in him. It's found here in the church. So this is what we're all about. This is what we are called to be about, to be the builders, the builders in the work of ministry. Let's pray now for God's grace to do it. Our God and our Father, we thank you for your word. Forgive us for treating it so lightly, for treating it as something that is just words on a page rather than the very words that create life. Grant us faith, hope, and love to imitate you, to follow in your steps, to speak the truth in love, that you may continue in your great building work here, that the dead may be raised, that new generations may come to know you, to see you, and to rejoice in you as their life their bread of life. So please come. Will you do this in us and through us, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And praise God that we can be more than not afraid. We can be ambitious and full of joy and confidence in our God who will complete this building project. <laughs> what a privilege it is to be a part of it. So go today resting in his power and Go out on Monday building, building in his name. In Jesus' name, amen.